and I welcome you to Let's Talk Native on this Tuesday, August 13th. While this program may not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do encourage and in some cases start conversations. We don't do prayers and we don't do buffalo speeches. We take a tough look at history, oppression, and survival. We talk about culture, the arts, politics, and identity. And we may step on a few toes along the way, but our real goal here is to bring people together by breaking down what separates us. We will take on the false narratives and provide critical thinking to all that is heaped upon us. And we do it all right here live from the Cattaraugus Territory of the Seneca Nation. So let's talk native. But let me remind people that our audio streams at live at www.letstalknative.com. We stream the video live um, on, uh, on Facebook Live, uh, on our Facebook group pages. Our shows are available as podcasts on your favorite podcast platforms. And we take the video and we put it up on our YouTube channel, which is Let's Talk Native TV. I encourage you to subscribe to the YouTube channel. And subscribe to the podcast, and that way you'll you'll never miss a show. You'll always have uh, notifications of new shows. And of course, on our YouTube channel, we also do um, we we do short form videos as well on various subjects. And we're we're due, and fact, we're overdue for for a new one. So um, uh, again, subscribe to the channel, and you'll you'll catch it. Um, look, I'm uh, I'm the host of the the, the show, uh, and I'm joined in studio by Jake Proud, who is managing our video and uh our uh, our sound so let's get into it all right as uh, i you know i posted on facebook uh the general topic and and i and i asked the question what's the difference between native people and non-native people what's the difference between our land and 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 their land uh, our us and them here and there what's the difference and the reason i <clears throat> i even got into this subject was uh uh, has to do with, with the tax issues. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it has to do with the tax issues. Um, uh, we're in a, always in a battle with the federal government and the state government. And of, co- and, of course, most people assume, and again, this kind of gets into the whole definitions issue, they assume that we don't pay any taxes. 
I mean, a lot of, you know, Native and non-Native people think that that we are, you know, exempt from all of these other things, right? And that we, I mean, some people think we get a bunch of money from the government and, we, you know, that we, we're all on welfare. And, and I mean, there's a, there's a whole, they think we all go to college for free, you know, all kinds of things like that. And, and I think it's important that people understand some of the truths associated with it. And, and look, this isn't a question of who, uh, who are better people. It's not that. It's, it's what are the differences and, and what are the distinctions? And, and part of it is because I, th- I think people need to understand that even with the handicaps that come with being Native and living on Native lands, we don't want to assimilate. Our goal is not to be Americans. I mean, that's not really what our goal is. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying there aren't Native people who kind of sign up to, to that whole patriotism and, you know, uh, and look, we, we've got Native people who are Christians, who are veterans, who are, uh, you know, who, who are voters, all, all kinds of stuff like that. But to a person, there's almost no one, especially living on Native lands, and I would say most of us who don't live right within a Native community, none of us want that distinction to go away. We, we don't want to lose that identity as Native people. So, so let's talk a little bit about that identity. First, there is that question about citizenship. In, in the, when the United States was, was formed and they, and they wrote into their constitution, uh, you know, certain, you know, uh, authorities that the federal government had and how the government was going to work and that kind of thing. In Article 1, Section 2 of the U.S. Constitution, it was considered the apportionment clause. And what the apportionment clause was for was both for the apportionment of taxes and for representation, Congress. Yeah. So, so how how would you determine how many congressmen would be um, uh, put out there for 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 each colony? Well, it was based on population. So, how do you count that population? So, when they were figuring out the apportionment of of representation for Congress, there for the House of Representatives specifically, they they talked about who would be counted, and of course, it was always men. It wasn't even women. Um, uh, three fifths of a, a, a of a of a slave, but it would exclude um, native people, and, and it said excluding. And again, they're talking about who is going to be counted, and it says excluding Indians not taxed. So in that one statement, in the apportionment clause of the U.S. Constitution, the United States was recognizing from the beginning that we both didn't pay taxes. And that we were not a part of their constitution, that we were not represented by them. We were, it was not our constitution that we, although we were living in the same places, you know, we, we had, you know, you know, although the, the borders weren't always that clearly defined in the beginning, but certainly there were native people living um, in close proximity to non-native people. But it was very clear right from the start that we were distinct, that we weren't the same. We weren't, we weren't slaves. We weren't endangered servants. We weren't free white men, but we were uh, different and, and separate and that we were not a part of, the, uh, of their, their system. So that's right, right from the beginning. Now, keep in mind, this is uh, in the late 18th century. This is, uh, uh, what's the Constitution, uh, 1787 or something along those lines. So that's one, So that's, that's clearly defined there. Now, you go a, a little bit later into, uh, in, into that, that same century. I mean, uh, talk about the Canadago Treaty. We know that as lines were being drawn, so they could, so they, not us, they could clearly define, okay, where were the edges of our territories and what territories 
would we allow them to utilize? The, the, the federal government under George Washington had all these lines drawn, and they said, this is, you know, the Seneca territory is defined as this, 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 and this. And they said, and the United States will acknowledge that that land is yours. And we will never claim the same. Nor will we disturb you in the free use and enjoyment of the land. So, so again, let me back that up. So the United States says, specifically the Senecas, but all six nations, basically. But the, the territories of the Seneca Nation, they said, the lands that you are retaining, not you know, that we aren't carving up in, the, in this treaty, that they are yours, and the United States acknowledges that it's yours, and the United States will never claim your lands. So that's what the, the federal government, under George Washington, in the Treaty of Canandaigua, Look, I'm not saying it was a good treaty or I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just saying their language in their document, specifically, this is 1794 now, they are saying that your land is not part of the United States. Now, forget about it. It's not part of New York State either. I mean, it's not a part of the United States. And they make no, there's no um, ambiguity there. The only thing that says that, uh, and it'll be yours until you decide to sell it. Should you decide to sell it. And and what they tried to suggest in, in that part of the clause was that the United States had the exclusive right to buy that land from when, when Native people were willing to sell it. But but again, clearly the United States is saying that land is yours. And and of course, after that, and I know we've talked about Doctrine of Christian Discovery where you know the Justice John Marshall 30 years later would say, well, Native people uh, don't have any uh, right to own title to land. Well, obviously that, that is totally contradicted by the Treaty of Canandaigua. And in fact, after uh, this this case by uh, uh, that codifies the Doctrine of Discovery into the U.S. law, in the attempt to move Native people, when the, when the Senecas were, were specifically were approached about moving to, say, Kansas, the Senecas asked the question, well, if we went there, then what would be the status of that land? And the United States again. And this is in the 1830s now. So now we're at the... Now we're in the 19th century. And this is the 1830s, and what they're saying is, if you leave this, the land that you're on now and, and take this land out in, in Kansas, that land will be yours, and the United States will never claim it. It'll never be a part of U.S. territory. It'll never be turned into a state. It'll have the same status as the land that, uh, that you'd be leaving. So that wasn't said to everybody. Now, the Senecas knew what language they already had, and so that was the, 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 these were really important questions they were asking. And, and the United States completely conceded that if, if, the, if the Senecas left and went to Kansas, that they would, um, that, that, that the land would be theirs. Forget, you know, Johnson v. McIntosh, Doctrine of Discovery, the Indians can't hold title of land. And the, no, none of that stuff. The, the federal government was, was already was acknowledging, first off, that the land you're on is yours. And, but if, if you are willing to move, we'll assure you that the land, of course, the Senecas didn't move, they stayed. But again, so you're getting into the 19th century and the United States is still acknowledging the distinction of, 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 of the Seneca people and the distinction of their land. Now, again, we're not, I haven't really gotten into the, what that distinction is, but it's not the United States. The Senecas are not U.S. citizens. Okay, so we, we get later into the, in the 19th, 19th, uh, 19th century, slavery ends. So they passed the 14th Amendment, which... You would think, when you hear the language of the 14th Amendment, and, and it talks about um, slaves now being citizens, black men being citizens, and, it, what it, and the language suggests that all people 
born in the in you know in the United States are U.S. citizens. That doesn't include us, because the language in that in the Fourteenth Amendment says born in the United States and under U.S. jurisdiction are citizens of the United States. We were neither. I mean, most of us were still living on our on our on native lands, and we weren't under U.S. jurisdiction. So in in, in the in eighteen sixty eight. 14th Amendment gets passed. We still aren't U.S. citizens. So 1924 comes around. 1924, they take another crack at trying to make us into U.S. citizens, and they pass the Indian Citizenship Act, where they declare, both the Senate and the House, they they declare that all Indians uh, living within the continental or the geographical boundary of the United States are hereby declared Indians. Or, uh, I'm sorry, hereby, hereby declared U.S. citizens. And and again, the uh, provided that nothing in this act would limit their uh, their property, uh, uh, any any of the rights or or, or uh, personal property or, or tribal property, whatever. So that's that's it gets passed nine twenty four. But you know what? That doesn't solve the problem either, because by you go another uh, ten years later in uh, in in nineteen thirty four, they're trying to define what a native person is again, and so they have this whole. Indian Reorganization Act thing, and again, there's this whole idea about whether Native people are under U.S. jurisdiction or not. And today, when they're looking at things like whether a Native person can get land or not through um, uh, the feed of trust process, the idea of taking land and putting taking it out of state control and putting it in in trust with the federal government, there's a rule that called the 1934 rule, and that question is: Were you under the jurisdiction? of the United States in 1934. Well, well, clearly, there are people who weren't. So the 1934 thing didn't solve, um, solve the citizenship question. So my, my point in all of this is that even with attempts to make that distinction go away, it doesn't go away. Now, we can back all the way up to, to the, again, to the early 19th century, uh, and I, I, I oftentimes talk about this letter between Thomas Jefferson who was the president in 1803, um, and Henry Harrison, who would become president later on, but is the governor of the Indiana Territory. And Jefferson writes him a letter basically telling him, uh, look, this is, a, this is between us. It's a private letter, so I can be open and honest with you and make it clear what our strategy is with Native people. And he said, and part of that strategy is, let's cultivate their affection. Let's make them love us. Let's not do anything to upset the native people. Let's let's try to keep peace and let's make them like us. And we'll do everything again to make them like us. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to convince all of our tradesmen, all the, all the ones who, who have shops, the, 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 the storekeepers, to sell the native people products at a bare bones. Sell it cheap. I mean, don't, don't give it away. Don't lose money on it. But sell it so cheap that the again that these native people will love us and you know what offer them lines of credit sell them all you can make it up in volume what you, what you can't what you can't make up in in margin make up in volume sell them all you can run them into debt and when that debt gets too big for them to pay we'll convince them to lop off that debt with their land so let's bankrupt them let's let's offer them lines of credit let's get them in debt and then we'll and then we'll foreclose for all intents, we'll, we'll, we'll foreclose. So this was the attempt. And, and of course, what Jefferson says in, in this letter is that 
And here's the thing. Once we've, you know, we've done this and we've got it, we, you know, we've got enough of their land. Even if we don't have to have it all. Once we have enough, of them, we'll, we'll have them so integrated with us that they'll either be so uncomfortable that they'll leave and they'll go out and we'll ship them out west of the Mississippi or they're going to have to completely assimilate and they'll have to give up on their culture, which is, which, which is terrible anyway. And, and, and it'll be the end of them as a distinct people. And, and, he, and he refers to this strategy as the plan for his final consolidation. Our final consolidation will be completed. Sounds a little bit like Hitler's um, final solution. But, but I bring this up because, again, Jefferson knew that, that we were a distinct people. And, and by, by taking, you know, stripping land and that kind of thing, he could make some of that distinction go away. He, he, either, he could either make us go away. And that's what he said. He said, look, and if anybody resists any of this stuff, we'll just crush them. And, and, and well, not only will we will crush them and harm them and hurt them, but we'll make them all leave. We'll drive them west of the Mississippi. So if they didn't want to go willingly, we'll make them go under. So this Jefferson, who everybody thinks is the enlightened one, you know, this, this enlightened president, turns out to be the most devious of them all. He's got a, a multi-pronged approach, one that involves, you know, <laughs> toxic li- uh, lines of credit, uh, a way to, to and, and even refers to this, this is a way that we can take their land and not even offend them. We'll make it sound like we did them a favor taking them off, taking that land off their hand to satisfy these debts because we've already convinced them that they, that they need this stuff that we have, our pots, our pans, our, our garden utensils, all that stuff. And, and again, we'll give it to them cheap because we want them to run in debt. And that's, so that was, that was Jefferson's plan. So again, I mentioned this stuff to, uh, can, to highlight that distinction. Now here's the problem. Jefferson's plan didn't work. And it worked in a large, in a large way, it did work, I will say. 95% of our land base, you know, 90, uh, some 90% of our population was eliminated through this strategy, but we didn't all go. So where I say the plan failed, um, the complete genocide was not, didn't, didn't happen. We, we're still here. And so, and even here in the East, which is, you know, sometimes people think that's remarkable. So we're still here. So when we ask that question today, what is that distinction? Well, I would still argue, even though there are plenty of Native people, Seneca people, who will say, oh, I'm an American. Yeah, I'm an American. And they made me American in 1924. I mean, th- those are people who just don't know any better to say anything else other than that. But the reality is, we get to choose. I mean, let's not forget, the United States claims in, in, in their Declaration of Independence that, that just authority, just power, only comes from the consent of the governed. Well, we never gave consent to that. You pass a law that unilaterally tries to make us U.S. citizens, that doesn't mean that we agreed to that. And in fact, when they passed that law in 1924, our people rejected it, especially when, when draft notices started coming out for World War II. So, again, there, there is a big question mark about our even our citizenship as we live on Native territories. But some of the biggest distinction is our native territory. And the fact that that the reason we have a word like unwe is because it talks about us being a real human being forever. And to be a real human being, you have to have a connection to land. You have to have a connection to the land of your ancestors. I mean, most Americans, U.S. citizens, they can only go back so far. They don't. They don't have a deep connection. I mean, look, you got Americans that claim to be Italians. Well, you're not really Italian. 
you have no connection to Italy. You don't even speak the language. Yeah, you, you don't have a hometown that you can you can associate your or, or that you, where you come from or you're Irish, and 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 as far as black people, most of those people were ripped away in, in chains out of Africa, and and so the population that uh, of of fourteen uh, percent of the U.S. population is black. Many of those are, you know, they're descendants of slaves, so they had that that cord cut between them and their relationship to land. So they're here without that connection. Same with, you know, again, same with, you know, all white people, <clears throat> Asian, you know, uh, population, Japanese, Chinese, Koreans, Vietnamese, Filipinos, all the other Haitians, everybody who's here, <clears throat> for whatever reason, doesn't have the same connection that that Native people, Indigenous people, you know, the, the original people, we only have. So that's part of it. So part of what makes us so distinct is the fact that we do have places that the land is not part of New York State, that it's not part of the United States. So what does life on a Native territory look like? And, and I think even Native people can sometimes ignore that distinction. I mean, look, we live in houses. We drive cars. We wear blue jeans. We got TV with, you know, we don't have cable, <laughs> at least not here in Cattaraugus, but We've got Dish Network and DirecTV, and we've got, you know, crappy internet. We don't have high-speed internet. No, we don't have that. But we have roads and cars and garages and streetlights and, you know. But what's the difference? Well, the, the biggest difference is, for, for only, we don't pay taxes here. And, and when I say we don't, there's no taxes imposed on Senecas by Senecas. Taxing is not something that's part of our culture. So we don't have taxes. Outside as taxes, and they try every day at the state and federal level and, and other levels. I mean, every phone bill we got has a, a little hidden tax and fee in there that we got to fight them over. Every service, product and service we get, we, we have to fight them to the extent we can on paying on, on paying taxes on products that we use and consume here. I mean, it's easy if something comes to, it's delivered here, but this is one of the battles we have. And this, and this battle rages on continuously at the state and the federal level. I mean, look, I talk about the the, the state uh, trying to fleece the Senecas for another billion dollars after getting a billion and a half out of gaming revenue. There's no way you can define what the state is imp- trying to impose on the Senecas as anything but a tax. It, it, it's a tax. I mean, they're not giving the Senecas something of value. It's you know, So they can call it a revenue sharing, but now they, they even had a couple of white guys on an arbitration panel. They know you've got to pay it. So now it's an imposed. It's, it's forced on the Senecas. That's a tax. Now, do we have the right to fight? Absolutely. And is is do they does the state have the right to tax us? No, they don't. But see, even though I, we can argue that the state doesn't have the right to tax, or the federal government for that matter, there's an assumption that they do. They make that assumption. And one of the ways they make that assumption is to do the opposite of what I'm doing here, which is to fail to recognize our distinction. They, they want to say, oh, no, you, look, yeah, you're native, but you're you're just an American. You're a New Yorker, just like the rest of us. No, we're not. We're, we're just not. And and I think understanding that distinction, and I think we need to understand that distinction. Look, I get like I said, I understand that that many native people go to church and they follow. They've they've abandoned some of their you know their their customs and traditions and picked up many customs and traditions from you know from the people around us, from the white people around us. I mean, including language. I'm speaking to you in, language, in English here. So, 
I get that, you know, and, and of course we, we follow their holidays, their, you know, Easter bunny and Santa Claus and, and all of that stuff. You know, 4th of July, right by saw a bunch of red, white, and blue flags on people's yards here during 4th of July. I mean, Halloween, all, you know, you know, we do, we do all those things that are, that are, that have become a part of the American culture. I mean, it's not really tied directly. I mean, except for the patriotic holidays, but some of it's tied to, to religion. But mo- none of that stuff is ours. But we've picked some of that up. But again, even though we have Christians and veterans and Republicans and Democrats on our territories, even those people still want to maintain at least some level of distinction for whatever that might mean. But, but again, so again, some of that distinction. The land here. It's not part of New York State. There's no New York State deeds for or county deeds or federal deeds for the land that's here. The Seneca Nation, you know, writes up the deeds. They do the the paperwork. The land here is not part of the United States or part of the New York State. Now that not everybody knows that. Apparently, the folks of the state don't know that. The folks in Washington don't know that because they. I mean, the idea that they'll even let people vote on the native territory when really their congressional districts stop when they come to the edge of uh, these territories. But, you know, we've, we've made concessions on things like policing. So there's tickets to shoot on the territory. Doesn't take much to fight it to not have to pay that ticket, but their roads go through here. Okay. Well, who who owns the roads? Well, the road, the the easements are offered up for these, for the state roads, uh, including the interstate uh, 86 down in Allegheny and, uh, uh, Interstate 90 uh, uh, here in Cattaraugus. But the land's never transferred title. The land, the Seneca's own that land. So there's an easement. There's easements issued for gas lines, for electric lines, for telephone lines. There's, there's a rail. I mean, uh, CSX tracks go cut through Seneca territory. There, you know, again, highways, there's, there, there's interstate, there's, uh, there's state routes. County routes that go through uh, Seneca territory, but those are all easements. It doesn't mean the Senecas gave the land up, even on any of those easements, any of them. So the land is not part of New York State. So the people living here are not residents of New York State. The people living here, I mean, frankly, even the non-native people, and not just you know Senecas. I'm not Seneca. I'm Mohawk. I live here. But I'm not. I'm not living in New York State. I'm. I'm living. I'm living on Seneca Nation territory. And there are non-native people who live on Seneca Nation territory. Now, I'm not saying they're not Americans. I'm not saying that. But they don't live in the United States, and they don't live in New York State. The land is distinct. So we don't have taxes here. There's no property taxes. There's no. Um, there, there's no state income tax. For people who who live and work here, now it gets into a bit of a, a, a debate. If you live here and you work out there, do you, do you pay state income tax? That's that's we say one thing and they say the other. But part of that is again is that that lack of clarity about distinction. See, in some of these things, we have to decide, and we haven't been very clear about it, and we need to be. You know, part of the reason you know I went through this exercise was over the tax issue. I mean, I've said this before on the show. It is absurd to me 
especially, I mean, and, and, and to me, the most absurd example is somebody who gets elected as a councilman or an executive of the Seneca Nation. Think about somebody who, who gets elected on the council and they get paid pretty well. But think about somebody who gets elected to serve the Seneca people on Seneca land. They live here. They have to. They live here. They're on council. And they get paid a pretty substantial income, sometimes around $100,000 a year. And the federal government gets a third of that? The federal government gets 30% or more of that income? For a person who is, again, not a New Yorker, not an American, a Seneca serving in Seneca Nation governance, why the hell would the United States have a right to, to tax that? But see, this is where it gets it gets nebulous, and it gets confusing. Hey, we're at the bottom of the hour, so we'll pick it up when we come back. I got more to talk about. I, I got to talk about more about what the differences and where the conflicts come in, and I'll do that when we come back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Lie, lie, lie to your 
All right, thanks for coming back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Hey, I want to uh, give a shout-out to my sponsors. I want to thank Ross and Holly John and the RJE family of businesses, Eric White and ERW Enterprises. Um, a few others, well, one in particular remains a little bit anonymous, I guess, but uh, I appreciate those three main sponsors that I have. And I also appreciate those of you who from time to time make a contribution, good friends like uh, Neville Spring, uh, uh, Ed Schindler, uh, my, my friend Cynthia Trice, a few people who, uh, even a few folks from down New York City way, uh, will, will pop a check in the mail every once in a while. And it allows us to do more of what uh, what we try to do here, enhancing our, our studio and uh um, you know, again, giving us uh, you know more tools to work with here. Uh, I also appreciate all of you that uh, that share the show, and you share the show whether you you're sharing the the uh, the Facebook live stream, um, or whether you're sharing podcasts or YouTube videos, whatever. I appreciate all of it. Look, I mentioned in the last program that uh, it was our ninth anniversary, uh, so this essentially is our first show of our tenth year. So we are forging into our into our tenth season, our tenth year of Let's Talk Native. Uh, couldn't do it without the support of listeners. Couldn't do it without the uh, support of sponsors. Um, and, of course, the, the guests. And, I, and I, as I said last time, I want to thank not only the, the special guests that we have, the, you know, the, the ones who make you know, uh, an appearance here and there, but, but the, the regular guests, the guys like uh, Matt Hill and Ed Schindler and Paul Delaro and Ross John, these guys who, who come into the studio quite often and, uh, you know, and, and help us have these conversations. So I want to thank all of you. Um, uh, and look, and I also want to thank you guys for offering your comments, and, and you guys do that in a variety of ways. Obviously, on Facebook, on on our YouTube channel, you can make a, make a comment. And we look for those comments from time to time, uh, time as well. So, um, thank you for all of that. All right, let me get back into it. Um, look, uh, I saw a comment here that talked about being native and living off territory. Look, here's the only difference: if you're a native person and you don't live on a native territory, the difference is is that where you live has a non-native person representing the territory. So they have a certain obligation to you because you live there. Now, I'm not saying that, uh, that that you have to claim that public servant, but if you live off territory, then there is a congressman, there is an assemblyman, there is a senator, that you know, a president, a governor, whatever, that, that represents your interest because of where you live. So there's that. That doesn't make, make you not be a native person, but what part of what your distinction is is that you do have a place that's home i mean even not not because you live in buffalo or you know niagara falls or rochester or whatever else but you have an an ancestral homeland you have a place that you can go to that is a seneca community that you you still maintain a a, a connection with not all native people have that I, I you know i'll say that i mean there are some people who become very urbanized and that um and that cord gets cut and 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 that's not by accident either. There's been policy. There was a, you know, oftentimes people confuse. There was the removal policy, which was about removing people from from native territories um, and and trying to clear the land. But there was also a policy that came like during the Nixon administration called the relocation policy. And what relocation was about was trying to get native people off the territory, setting them up to live in an urban environment. And that's where you know you end up with such a large population of native people living in places like Minneapolis, St. Paul, and, and and some of these other cities. So the whole idea was to try to cut that connection, and and, and the ultimate hope was by many people in uh, in in state and federal government was that they could do away with the whole reservation thing, get us to, get us convinced that life was better living in an urban environment than living in you know in in poverty 
in in a place that's as remote as many native territories are. So that's you know th- that was a policy. So, but no, what what um, politicians will tell you, what what state officials and even some federal officials will 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 suggest to you, the moment you step off your territory, you're a white man. You're just like anybody else. And of course that's bullshit. But this is again is where that distinction is there's an an attempt at all times by state and federal officials to to minimize that distinction. Now look, I mean we could argue yeah, the federal government has the Bureau of Indian Affairs and and they're supposed to have a um a responsibility to maintain the trust relationship between the federal government and the United uh, and the native territories. And of course, you know that's crap. That's why the Interior Department hasn't addressed this this gaming issue, not just for the Senecas, for any place. 30 years of IGRA and the Interior Department still can't even make a determination on on what a native uh, uh, peoples do if a state tries to uh, take advantage of them on, you know, whether it's revenue sharing or uh, or any other part of the, of a gaming compact. I mean, and look, the the failures of the, the interior department. Look, I talk about my friends down in Shinnecock territory. They put up a freaking sign on the highway on their lands, and you can't get any intervention even from the interior department saying, "Well, look, state, you got to back off. They have the right to do this." No, so it it just, it just doesn't happen. So, um, I guess my point with this is that, is that we don't have representation in the federal government. Oh look, I know they they put a couple they put the interior department together. I mean, Barack Obama actually had a couple of native people who were their senior policy advisors to the president on Native American affairs. Jody Gillette. Oh, what a coincidence! What a coincidence! Jody Gillette, her her brother was Dave Archambo out there in Standing Rock, and that's where they run a pipeline through. Yeah, that that really served them very well. So we don't have representation now. Again, if you're native and you live in the city, and and don't get me wrong, there's a lot of native people live in the city. There's there's probably a hundred thousand native people living in New York City at a given time. The problem is, we aren't a native community in those cities. And even when we have a you know a, a community house or a, a you know a community center or you know some sort of urban native center, it, it oftentimes doesn't isn't enough to bring us together and and be a, a native community. Even though we're and clearly we'd be a diverse community because it wouldn't just be you know, one uh, group of peoples. It would be people from you know everybody from you know from Arawak on uh, on the in the Caribbean to uh, you know to the northwest to the southwest. I mean, all over. But so we we lack that sense of cohesion when we're, once we're displaced from our territory. It's only on our territories where you can maintain a fair level of that cohesion as as a people. It's not to say that there isn't some diverse thoughts there either. But again, understanding the difference between our lives on our territories and the lives out there. And and I and, and I want to highlight some of that. Again, we can't go down to a community bank and get a home loan to, to build a house on our territory. No, it doesn't happen. In fact, you can't go and get a um um a, a loan to start a business. None of that stuff happens on our territories. Most of what, what you see on our territories are, is either through a Seneca Nation program specifically, or it's people who, who've had to dig in their own pockets and do everything with cash. Many of our businesses have a strong cash-based um, element to their business. Why? Because banking isn't available to us in terms of lending and financing or, or credit lines or any of that other stuff. So we're a little wary. I mean, yeah, we'll use banks for, for credit card processing, merchant accounts, and for transferring money. But we also find ourselves vulnerable because we are a cash-based business. 
we've had several occasions in the past, especially when we we're doing mail order, where where banks seized uh, seized accounts. Even the Seneca Nation had a quarter of a million dollars seized from an account because the federal government said, oh, we passed a, a, a rate increase on the federal excise tax and you had products sitting in your store that you hadn't sold yet. So we're going to impose that tax increase after the fact. They seized $230,000, $240,000 from a Seneca Nation account. I mean, so this is where our banking becomes, we're, we're vulnerable to it. And so there's some apprehension to to having uh, to doing business in the in the conventional way that anybody off territory can do insurances we can't insure things the same way property valuation it's hard to put a proper a, a a legitimate value on property because we don't we can't sell the property in uh, in the open market a, a non native person can't come on in fact a non Seneca can't come on to Seneca territory and buy property and you sure as hell can't go borrow you know get a bank loan to buy property so. There's some very clear distinctions. So when I when I talk about the fact that we don't have a taxing system, that's the other thing that people have to understand. The entire system of governance, programs, all of that stuff is funded through enterprise here. None of it is done done through tax, and none of it is doing is done through through debt financing. I mean, um, the um, the Seneca Nation can't operate in a deficit. They can't you know uh, you know sell bonds to a you know, to, you know to to cover their their government uh, government expenditures. I mean, the, what the federal government is like, like I don't know, twenty three trillion dollars in debt or some damn thing. They got the China buying uh, buying you know like seven or eight percent of the of the the entire U.S. debt is owned by foreign country by by one country, China. No, that doesn't none of that, that stuff doesn't exist here. So everything that is that is. Um, uh, run here in terms of uh, governing services programs is done through enterprise and the main enterprise is gaming so when i hear somebody say well the senecas don't pay any taxes on their uh, on their casinos the hell they don't the entire nut that comes from uh from the profit from gaming essentially is is essentially taxed i mean it's, it's a government-run enterprise see this is the thing that people understand the united states isn't they don't look at their assets as a country and they don't run businesses to generate capital for the United States. No, they, the only way that the United States gets money or and, and states get money is by fleecing their, their residents through taxes, income tax, state tax, you know, any number of excise tax, all, all kinds of taxes, capital gains. They have, they have They have more taxes than you can imagine. And that's not what we do here. So with all of those taxing systems, that's how they, you know, that's not only how they do government programs, but it's also how they promote economic development, either directly or indirectly, you know, again, through their systems. On Seneca territory, the only means to do economic development is either through private sector raising money, you know, uh, um, through their own businesses or the work they do off territory that they, where they can bring revenue in, or to the Seneca Nation, doing doing their uh, their enterprise, and they have a couple of stores. They have some investments, but primarily the the main source of revenue for the Seneca Nation is is gaming. Three casinos, uh, two bingo halls, you know, and 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 and, and uh, several other enterprises. So it's a completely different situation in terms of not only how the government runs, but how the people 
interact. I mean, the people don't pay the Seneca Nation. Out there, you guys all pay your state and your federal government. The question is, why should we? Why should we? And again, I go back to that that absurd example of somebody who sits on Seneca Nation Council who has to have a third of their paycheck taken by the federal government. I mean, that's absurd. But it's not only absurd for him, it's absurd for all of, for anybody. If you're a native person, there is no reason that you should be forced. I mean, think about the idea of selling your labor. Just, just the whole idea. Why, how is it possible that a state or a federal government has the right to take a piece of the sale of your labor? I mean, just let us sink in for a little bit. See, and that's not the way it works on, on, on our territory. We would, we just don't accept that. Although we're in a constant battle, especially with the federal government, not so much with the state government. State, the state acknowledges they can't tax our income generated from, uh, from uh, here on territory. If we live here, we can, we can avoid paying state income tax. If you live out there or if you work out there, that's a, that's a, harder, that's a bigger challenge. But it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be a challenge because we are a distinct people. So these are the things that we're always fighting for. But, but you know, again, it has to be understood that we don't, we're not benefiting in the same way because some of the, the, the infrastructure, I mean, think, think about the throughway goes through here. So the throughway cuts through Seneca territory. We can't even get on it on te, uh, Seneca territory. It generates income for the state. They charge a toll for it. Unfettered access of commerce runs runs through Seneca territory every every minute of every day. Every minute of every day, there 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 are cars and trucks. There are people traveling uh, traveling that through, and not just the throughway. Interstate eighty six down in Allegheny, uh, four thirty eight, Route five, Route twenty, county roads. There's a, again CSX tracks. There's there's a rail a rail system that runs through. I think there's three lines, three sets of tracks, runs through Seneca territory. More commerce, and you know. You know how much they report to the Seneca Nation? None. They don't report a damn thing. The Senecas have no idea what is on a truck that goes through the territory. They, they aren't getting any permits for to cross there. I mean, they could be carrying nuclear waste for all we know. And I'm sure they have. <clears throat> the track, same thing. Bomb trains. 100 cars at a time carrying Balkan crude right on the, on the water's edge of the Seneca Nation. Our, the only access to, uh, to Lake Erie. Bomb trains running through Seneca territory. There's no special insurances. They, they I mean, they don't, they don't um, get any special permits. So unfa- even hazardous materials cross Seneca territory unimpeded by Senecas. But when we put cigarettes on a truck and we go from this territory to another territory, we're at a constant risk of, be- of being seized. Ask Eric White on that one. So even our native, look, we're not, we're not smuggling. We're not taking cigarettes to New York City and selling them to you know to bodegas or whatever else. The only trade that we do is from territory to territory, and most of it's a native product. It's not available anyplace else. It's not. I mean, look if we if you see Senecas sold in a uh, you know at a facility in New York City, then then somebody's getting getting away with something because we don't sell Senecas to, to New York City. You know what I'm saying? Or, or any of the native brands. They just go from one territory to another. That's what we do. And yet, those are at constant risk. It doesn't matter how much unfettered access. Again, it's, it's not even just the rail and the highway. Again, gas lines. Gas lines, phone lines, electric lines. 
all the stuff going on. And we don't get a discount for that. We're not getting cheap, you know, gas or electric. Even in, in Allegheny, <clears throat> where 10,000 acres was was uh, condemned by the Army Corps of Engineers for the Kinzua Dam, the city of Salamanca gets cheap electric, electric, but not the people living on on the Jefferson Town side on on the rest of Allegheny. They're paying the premium a premium price for electric down there. So, for all of the things that that happen in our territory, the, the the um, I, I guess the the abuses that you'd have to say. I mean, look, the, these easements were were got were gotten. I mean, they're it's almost fraud. I mean, the the throughway, for instance. The representatives of uh, um, who who negotiated with the Senecas on the throughway, they laughed about how much they got over on the Senecas on that deal. The Senecas wanted a piece of the action. Well, then we want a piece of the tolls. It's not Gavit, and of course we didn't we didn't exactly have the most skilled negotiators in the, in that situation. But so now the the, the throughway cuts through. They they pull in billions of dollars a year off of off of that throughway. There's there's billions of dollars worth of commerce, I should say that that is conducted. You know, by by crossing through Seneca territory, not a, and they don't have to get off, and they don't they have to, they don't have to go through our territories and gas up or anything else. Look, they they don't have to do any of that stuff. We don't get any benefit from the throughway. In fact, we don't even use the throughway as it crosses through our territory. We also shouldn't be paying tolls on the throughway, by the way. But that goes back to some of the older older treaty uh, language as well. But there we are. Not all of us. I mean, we got guys like Will Perry who said, "Nope, there's no way in hell I'm going to pay a toll on the throughway." He, he rejects it every single time. So I'll get my hats off to Will. But, you know, these are some of the, the, the conflicted areas. None of them more conflicting than, than the federal taxes, especially income tax, excise taxes. I mean, think about every cigarette product that is sold on our territories, all federal taxes are paid on that. All federal taxes. I mean, there's no state taxes paid on it, no sales tax paid on it, but federal excise tax, which is like $10 a carton. And so you think about that. If you buy a cart of Senecas and you're paying $23, $25, whatever it is, $10 of that went to the, the federal government's making $10 off of that. $10. And then, again, what the federal government wants is not only are they making $10 off the cart of cigarettes, but they're going to try to take 25 to 30% of the wages of the person who sold it to you. I mean, this is this stuff is a, this is the craziness. Now, I know there's many native, native many people out there, native and non-native, who think, wait a minute, I thought that the native people none of them paid taxes, and there's probably native people who say, wait, we we pay all those taxes. I guarantee, you, if you go to Walmart, it is damn hard to get a, get away without paying the, the sales tax there. For years, we've had all these companies says, well, yeah, we can give you uh, uh, recognize your tax exemption uh, if you. Uh, if we deliver it to you, and it's going to cost you the same amount for us to deliver it to you as it would have cost you in tax. Staples, Home Depot, all these, they, they all do the same thing. I mean, it, it's an absolute scam. There's no question that we should have the right to buy goods uh, without paying without paying taxes. And, and I'll tell you, especially for, you know, when we're using them on our territories. And here's the crazy part. The state takes the position that not, that not only do they have the right to tax the sales of products on our territory, except for when they're only, uh, only, only for Senecas. The, 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 the state say, okay, any sale that happens on Seneca territory to a Seneca, we don't have any, um, any right to tax that. But they believe, I, I'm Mohawk. They, if I go into the smoke shop here and I buy a cart of cigarettes, 
The state believes they have a right to tax me on that. I mean, they don't, and they can't. I mean, and but as long as they hold that belief, here's the thing. They can try to criminalize that activity. They can claim that some that the sales here are illicit. So it always leaves this shadow of, you know, of criminality that the that the state tries to hold over over and that and that's why guys like Eric White and anybody who's hauling products from one territory to another are at risk. But see, the di- again talking about the distinction, there's an attempt by the state and federal government to, to ignore most of that distinction. That's why most of them don't even know what the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples are. You, you bring that up to to a state or a, uh, or a federal politician, they are they have no idea what you're even talking about. But you know, many of our people don't either. So the whole idea that that we need to uh, to assert that distinction, not just when somebody's trying to put a pipeline through our territories. That the, the problem with, with that mentality is it's too little too late. If we haven't asserted ourselves as a distinct people with 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 uh, authority on what happens on our lands, then we are we, we come at these things from a weak position when, when we when we're ready to fight. I mean I mean there there are things that we do that, that are always a little bit complicated. I mean, I mean, it's, it's like the casino, for instance, uh, selling booze. I mean, they serve they serve alcohol in the casino. Do they have a state liquor license? Well, why would they need a state liquor license to sell alcohol in a casino? And isn't that hypocritical to say that the the state has no right to uh, to tax any other product except for alcohol? Uh, or and if they're if they're not taxing it, then well, then what do you have a license with them for? See, these these are some of the things that we don't think all the way through when, when we're having when we're making some of these decisions and we're, and we're taking some of these actions going forward. So, there, I mean, and this is part of the, uh, the, the lack of education. So when we talk about identity, do we ever teach anybody that, that they aren't Americans or that they can be, but, they, but the assumption that we are can't be, can't be made with, with, without, our, without our consent? When our boys turn 18 years old, and who knows, might be our girls soon. Do we tell our boys, look, you don't have to register for the, their draft. I mean, look, they, they don't have a draft in place, but they have a re- draft registration. And you know, they say it's a crime. It's actually a criminal offense not to register for the draft. And it's punishable. I, they, don't, they don't punish anybody. But we can't get a full acknowledgement that you know that our our eighteen year old boys don't have to register for the for the U.S. Selective Services, and 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 of course some of the things you know you could have a challenge when it comes to things like, uh, um, you know, um, I don't, I don't know being a police officer for instance, you know if you try to do some of these jobs that that are community service of some sort, um, you could you you can't get certain um, um grants and, and loans uh you know or, or government uh, grants or whatever to go to college for instance if you don't uh if you don't sign up for the draft <clears throat> so these are some of the things that that become these major question marks because not only do we not teach our own kids and or take an initiative with our kids in school at school age oftentimes we're not doing it at home either we don't even second guess this idea i remember um, fall festival here in uh, seneca territory a couple of years ago, you know, Matt and I, we did a 
We did a count on how many of the parade floats, including all the individual motorcycles, how many of them were carrying American flags. American flags outnumbered even Seneca flags. There wasn't a single warrior, or warrior unity flag. No, forget about that. <laughs> but the, even the number of Seneca flags or, or um, high want belt flags, almost non-existent compared to the American flag. You know, and, and I get it. I You know, look, people are proud of their service in the, in the U.S. Armed Forces or Canadian Armed Forces. But nobody thinks about the consequences of that and, and where that leaves us in terms of identity or, or how we're being used in those situations. But for all of the, the attempts to distinguish or to, or to extinguish our distinction, we still maintain it, even with church, service you know uh, military service you know american flags blue jeans chevrolets pickup trucks even with all that stuff we still maintain a fair level of distinction and we should never let that go and we need to continue to fight taxation issues land use issues land encroachment issues but most importantly identity issues they there is a difference between us and them i'm not saying we're better i'm not saying we're worse Many of the things that you have out there, we don't have here. And, but many of those things we can build here if we weren't saddled with the burden that you guys not only have, but benefit from. When you get taxed out there, you get the full benefits of all those taxes. Not so much the same here. Anyway, I don't know if I, if, if I did a great job defining the difference between us and them, but it's part of the conversation. Hopefully you guys will continue the conversation from from here but uh it's a conversation we need to have this is john kane this is let's talk native thanks for listening Yahweh.